Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good morning. Uh, Pleased you joined us here today. Today, uh, uh, I'm pretty excited about a very important topic. We're going to talk to you about prayer. Most of us have uh, prayed prayers that uh, didn't get answered, at least in a way that we've recognized them. The disciples who had been with Jesus for some time, and they'd watched him teach and uh, do miracles, uh, particularly they watched him pray and listened to him pray, and he prayed in a way that was totally different than anything that they were used to. And they wanted to pray that way. So I guess we could paraphrase and say they asked Jesus, teach us to pray the way you pray. Because the way Jesus prayed was so personal and intimate and uh, relational with the Father. It wasn't mechanical or rote, which would have been something that they were certainly used to. Because uh, as a Jewish kid is being raised, they're uh, taught to memorize certain passages of Scripture and to memorize certain prayers And so a lot of their praying would be out of memory. It would be rote. But Jesus' prayer was different. It was a love language. It was, he said, he only did what he saw the Father doing and said what he heard the Father saying. That was certainly a different dimension of prayer than they would have been used to. Well, today in the Lord's Prayer, I think we can pick up on that in a way that can be somehow implemented into our own prayer life. One of my favorite uh, television programs is uh, Blue Bloods, and I particularly like uh, in each segment where they gather around the table because there's grandpa and dad and there's the children and there's the grandchildren, four generations gather around the table. And oftentimes in that particular segment, they will say a prayer before they eat their meal. It's a memorized prayer. It goes like this. Bless us, O Lord, for these thy gifts, which we're about to receive from thy bounty through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. But it's always the same. It's never really personal. It's, it's, a, it's a reciting of a memorized prayer, which the disciples would have been used to. Now, all of us pray, or we solicit others to pray for us whenever we find ourselves in some kind of trouble. So Jesus teaches how to pray. And Jesus basically says there's two ways that people approach God in prayer. And he says, when you pray, don't be like this group, but rather be like this. There's two foundations by which you approach God. Don't approach God this way, but approach him this way. There's religious praying. When you pray, verse 7, he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think... They're going to be heard for there are many words. Now, these are religious people. They pray. They recite repeated prayers. And they think they're going to be heard because of, because they've performed. They've done something. They think they'll be heard because of some effort that they have uh, put forth and therefore have earned the right to be heard and receive. But he says, you're not like that. Believers praying or the praying of a son or daughter of the Lord is not based upon anything earned. It's based upon relationship. 
We pray, he says, so when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, we have access to God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf and has given us the privilege to enter into prayer relationship with the Father as he did. So two foundations by which we approach God. And most all of us, if not all of us, have done the first one for sure, the performance base. It's like, it's rather mechanical really. It's an exchange because it, it works like this. Because I've been good, because I've served, I've done good deeds, I've gone to church, I've performed well, I've given money, uh, I've supported certain things, then, then uh, God, whenever I ask him, I would assume, therefore, he would take account of that and would somehow bless me. Well, that's religious praying. He said, they think they are heard because. And it's from a foundation of performance, or somehow I've earned the right to be heard and to receive. I've done something for you. But he says, when you pray, you pray this way. Not like that, but this way. Our Father. Now, that's familial language. That is a family language. I, one is, I've done something for you, but the other is, I am something to you. And the foundation has to do with something quite intimate and personal. It's relationship. One is conditional, based upon how well we've done. It's mechanical. It's an exchange. But the other is family, and therefore unconditional. It's found, founded rather on who I am, rather than what I've done. So either performance, empty phrases, many words, or family relationship, a child or a son or daughter to father. See, and the way you respond when you pray and the answer doesn't come, at least in the timing that you expected or in the way that you expected or possibly not at all, becomes a test for you as to how you're really approaching God. So if your response is angry, I prayed to God, he didn't answer my prayer. Terrible, painful things happened as a result. I've done my part. God didn't do his. He didn't come through, and you're angry. Or if you feel that I haven't done well, I don't deserve an answer, then it's, it's from guilt that you are, have approached, and you didn't really expect an answer. I've not been a good Christian. I, uh, I've committed that sin which so easily uh, besets me. Well, that's a religious way to approach God. And Jesus said, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. He says, he used the phrase, our father, which actually means daddy or dad. And you understand that that expression of how to approach God is absolutely scandalous to the Jews who had such a high regard for the holy name of God, they wouldn't even speak his name. Instead, they might pray to the Almighty or the one uh, above. With Jesus, he was scandalous. He prayed, Daddy, our Father. And when we pray, that's how he's inviting us to pray. We often pray in some kind of an impersonal way, depending on what we need. Like God is the CEO of the bank and we, we need some money or he's the sheriff because we need someone to justify, to help us with the wrong that's been committed against us or he's a celestial Santa Claus, the one above. It's kind of impersonal. 
But as a son or daughter of God, you're talking to dad here. It's real important that you get this because it's the foundation for all the other things that Jesus is telling us we can pray about. He wants a relationship with us. You see, that's why he created man in the first place. And he created Adam in the Garden of Eden. It was, that, it was to be with him there in the garden, to have a relationship and to walk with him and to commune with him. That's what God desires. He desires not perfunctory performance. He desires a loving relationship. So when you go to God as our Father, these words establish everything about your relationship with God and how you pray. It demonstrates that you understand that you are his child. You see, here's what's happened to us. You've been adopted into his family. He is your heavenly father. That's an amazing thing because, see, adoption is a status change. It's a legal change. And when a father adopts a child, it's unconditional. No one adopts a child and says, all right, if you please me, if you obey the rules, if you do well, I'll keep you. If you don't, I'll send you back. That's conditional. No, no. It's unconditional. You are forever a part of his family, whether you mess up or not. Peter puts it this way. In 1 Peter 2.10, he says, once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, once I was not, but now I am fully loved and accepted. A son of God, the Heavenly Father, has committed uh, to us as his own dear child. He's not ashamed to be called our God. See, now it's a whole different thing because you don't perform to secure God's favor, you already have it. You don't perform to get his acceptance. He has already accepted you. You've been legally adopted, all by God's own initiative and his own effort, not your own. And because of that, when you pray and you say, Our Father, it enables you to go on and say, Hallowed be thy name. Because an awareness of a loving father who has adopted you into his family makes possible our adoration, praise, and worship. It just burst out of our heart. The more this revelation of what he's done on our behalf without us deserving, it just causes us to want to break out in praise and adoration to him. You see, the religious person can say the same words, can sing the same songs, but it's mechanical and perfunctory. But for you who really know him as our father and what he's done for you, you cannot but praise, adore, and say, hallowed be your name. And unless you're a child of God, really understanding that, real authentic praise is absolutely impossible. It means nothing. You see, I've heard people say, I'll never forget the day I found the Lord. Can I just help you with that, please? You see, you didn't find the Lord. He found you. He wasn't the one who was lost. And that changes everything. Without our Father, there is never a hallowed be thy name. And then he says, you pray, 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, we long for that, don't we? We know that Jesus is coming back. His kingdom rule will be here on earth, and he's in charge. he'll be in charge of the government ruling over us. Wow, we long for that day, and we pray for the day when God's kingdom comes to earth fully. But there's another sign of that. May your kingdom come to this earth. That is to me. I invite your rule and reign in my life. Not just be Jesus my Savior, but no, be my Lord. Do you really want that? Do you want him to come and rule over you and have control in your life? Because we often attempt to rule God. When we pray, we say, God, I need this. And, and we tell him what we need. But God knows what we need. We tell him what to do. We think we know what's fair, at least according to our definition of what's just and what's fair. But God won't come under that. He's God. Therefore, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So that's an important statement there because what we're really saying is, I don't really need understanding, O oh God, as to how you respond. I do need to trust you. When you pray, but he doesn't answer your prayer, at least in a way that you recognize it to be answered or is obvious to you, can you still pray, God's a good God, I pray that his will would be done. Because that's a matter of trust. It has nothing to do with understanding. It's an act of submission to him with the understanding that God's answers are always wiser than our prayers. I don't understand. All of us have been there. But a child doesn't understand either. A two-year-old child wants to play out on the street, and dad comes and grabs up that child, and that child kicks up a fuss and stiffens and screams and cries. And you can explain to that child the danger, but somehow they just don't understand it. And even when a child grows up and is a teenager and you say no to certain things, there's a response that's not helpful oftentimes because they, they don't understand what the understanding that you have, that you're looking for their well-being and for their safety. It's about trust more than understanding. I'm convinced. I have prayers that haven't been answered yet. At least I haven't recognized them if they have. And if God were to explain everything to me, I don't think I would understand it. I'm left with this, and I'm content with this. I will trust him. It's like Job said, even if he killed me, I trust him. This is where I have arrived. Thy will be done. I trust you, God. I trust you're good and that you have good things for us. Then he says, give us this day our daily bread. That's an interesting statement because... Most of us want more than daily bread. We want the freezer full and the fridge full. We want the 30-year or 40-year financial security plan. But he says, pray for your daily bread. In the Old Testament, God gave Israel manna daily. And if they tried to store it up, which is a way of saying, I want to somehow be more independent from God. When they tried to store it up, it's spoiled. God wants us to trust him daily. I, what I need is today, not yesterday is spent, not tomorrow, tomorrow has not yet arrived. But we want security. We want an independence, really, from God. So God says, no, no, 
You can trust me every day. I'm your father. I am not going to leave you without my supply and care. It's not monthly, not weekly, but daily. Grace for the moment. That's what I need. I don't need grace for yesterday. It's gone, or grace for tomorrow that hasn't arrived, but I do need his grace today. Daily bread. The other thing about that is, it's interesting to me that Jesus said, you can bug God about just the little incidentals of life. He invites us to persist in asking God for our daily needs. Pray, yeah, for thy kingdom to come, but also, please pray for the daily needs, the little things in your life. Go after God aggressively. He's your father. You're his kid. You're in the family here. Persistently, aggressively, remind God of his promises. And we can do that because we're his children. When I read the prayers of the Old Testament, I'm blown away because they are sometimes rude and aggressive and there's debate and interaction and even argument with God. The honesty of the prayers of the Psalms or Abraham who's, who's arguing with God when God says to him, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, well, God, would you judge Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 50 righteous? God said, no. Okay, how about if there's 45? No. And he keeps negotiating with God until he gets down to 10. If there are 10 righteous, would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? These are interesting prayers. It's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's family prayer. It's what a family can do with each other because there's security. Whenever there's security in your relationship with the Father, Paul prayed three times for exactly the same thing, for the removal of something called thorn in the flesh. God didn't remove the thorn, but he gave him a different answer. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Something better, actually, for Paul was in store uh, for him. I've been in big trouble at times. I've, I've wrestled with God with things. I remember at one instance I said, God, this is, was your idea. And I never, ever felt the displeasure of God because of my honesty in speaking with him. He's our father. And without our father, there is no praying. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he said, pray this way. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Verses 14 and 15 say this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. That is one of the more frightening scriptures in all of my... It's scary to me because he's saying that the forgiveness that I received from God, my Father is in direct proportion to the forgiveness I give to others or to the degree that I'm willing to forgive others. If I don't forgive others, then he's not going to forgive me either. He forgives me just like I forgive others. Now, you can say the right things, but not really mean it. Now, how is it possible for you to do that? Someone commits a terrible injustice against you, but you still forgive them. This is how. Because I've said, our Father. I remember when I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I remember I was once not, but now I'm his people. I did did not receive mercy. Now I've received mercy. Because 
I was not, and he adopted me as his own dear child and committed his life to me. I, who have been forgiven for so much, how could I not forgive others? I, who have received his mercy rather than his judgment, but his mercy, how can I not extend to others mercy? Because I've said our Father, and I know what that means, that enables me to pray this prayer and to forgive others their sins, and injustice against me. And then he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, lead us in such a way that we don't succumb to temptation. The word temptation also means trial or test. He experienced our temptation firsthand. He resisted. He overcame the evil one. He's been tempted in all points just like we and we can share in Christ's victory. It's interesting, following Christ's successful defeat of the devil on the Mount of Temptation, where the devil was tempting him, the Bible says when the devil left him finally, angels came and attended to him. It's during the trials and struggles and temptations of life that our Father is there. He comes and attends to us. His grace comes. Strength in grace is sufficient for you. I love that statement. My grace is sufficient for you. My, it comes from God. Sufficient, a bit of an understatement. Is, not yesterday, was, or will be tomorrow, but is presently for, and its direction is for you. He has that for you. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you seen yourself in this message? How do you approach God? You've done your part. He should do his, not fair, got by my own understanding of fairness. When your prayers aren't answered, are you angry? Or does guilt overwhelm you because you don't deserve? If that's the case, then you really haven't understood our Father. When I was in college, my first year of college, actually, uh, my dad had had a massive heart attack a week before. I was traveling home on the weekends to help with the church there. I was working 40 hours a week at a shoe store, and I was taking 18 hours of class load, and I was always asking God for favors and help. I began to feel guilty about it because it seemed so selfish that I was always asking God for my daily bread. I felt guilty. But I feel God spoke to me out of Hebrews 4.15 in that moment. He says, For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, and he was in every respect tempted as we were, without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Those words from my Father, Heavenly Father, were so liberating to me. Our Father, you can do that. Daddy, with confidence, come to God. He knows your weaknesses, but we're hidden in Christ. Finish work on our behalf. We're adopted. We're his kids. He's our daddy. And when you're facing things, come boldly to the throne of grace that you find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Maybe you realize you've approached him from more of a religious viewpoint. Or maybe you realize that you have not committed your life to Jesus. Can I just challenge you to do that today? 
Commit your life to Jesus. Turn to Him. Move from that religious side to our Father side. Can I just pray for you? Father, we're so grateful and amazed at your uh, love for us. It's unconditional. You've initiated and brought us into your family so we can pray, our Father, all of these things that we can pray and receive from you. Lord, I pray people will be strengthened now. People watching today, strengthened and encouraged to approach you as our loving Father who invites us to crawl up into his lap and express our heart to him. Amen. Thank you.